Hello and welcome to Esther Illusions. Before we begin, I just want to have a quick reminder. If you enjoy Esther Illusions, if you enjoy my Facebook page or wherever else I post my crap, uh, please leave a rating on Apple. My page gets attacked by trolls a lot and uh, it would be very helpful. It's a great way, an easy way to lend your support. You can do it while you're listening to the episode. How fun. Uh, but don't do that if you're driving. And uh, today we're going to be talking about She-Hulk, and I guess the the place that I really wanted to start is just just to acknowledge and examine the kind of inherent paradox that comes with comic books as an art form. I hear all the time from people who say they want to get into comics, but that they don't know where to start, or they feel intimidated, and I get that. I, I read thousands of them a year, and guess what? I feel exactly the same way. But... Here's the thing. Comic books always will serve two masters in any in any individual comic book, whether it's part of a series or, or more broadly. They're always aware that there's going to be people picking up the book who have not read a book before. So typically the first page will kind of catch people up to speed. And at no point in the comic is the book really going to throw complete curveballs. They want people to follow along. They understand... Some of these characters, Batman, Superman, 80-plus years of lore, that's a long time. Some of these people have been around since the 1930s. They know that. They're not trying to lose people. But they're also trying to make sure that the diehards get their little Easter eggs. But I, I, I never really think that, that the an expanded knowledge of any of these universes is required to inherently just enjoy the story. And She-Hulk exists kind of at the, the intersection of this. I always think about how when we were first seeing the, the first wave of Marvel TV shows, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, the stuff on Netflix with Daredevil and Jessica Jones, and even stuff like Cloak and Dagger or Runaways, which I actually like Cloak and Dagger for the first season. The second season was a mess, but we're not going to <laughs> get too off topic. We always heard, hey, this stuff is all, it's all connected. How many times did we hear that? And how many times was it actually meaningfully connected, any of those uh, smaller scale shows? And now we're over a year into, so Marvel Studios, beginning with WandaVision, kind of took over the TV landscape, and now they're promising, hey, I know we said it was all connected before, but now it's really connected. And, you know, more than a year in, that's only... It's, it's truer than it was before, and maybe it'll be a lot truer down the road, but it's still kind of only partially true that all of this is connected. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that Phase 4 has seemed... I don't want to say it's a mess. There have been some good ones here and there, but uh, definitely not an overarching theme. And even with, the, uh, with WandaVision, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and Loki, we, we have characters who we know and love from the films... But at the end of the day, we're also getting stories that exist for television as television. It's not really the cinematic prestige drama stuff that Kevin Feige was really promoting when uh, Marvel Studios erased Marvel Television, which, not to get too into the weeds, but if we're being honest, uh, a lot of a lot of the restructuring was mostly a power grab because back in the day, Kevin Feige didn't have control over Marvel Television. Jeff Loeb did, a longtime comic book writer, largely known for DC stuff, but he's done some Marvel. And uh, that was kind of why it was all spread out. Now Kevin Feige, 
in typical control freak fashion, wants to reorganize everything under his label. So, yes, we're getting shows that have bigger budgets than the ones that came before, but at the end of the day, I, I don't think we've reached a point where Marvel Studios is truly looking at its television landscape and saying, hey, this is on par with what we're doing for cinema. We're not... <laughs> It's not the big fucking deal that we've been promised. And that's kind of where She-Hulk comes into this equation because it's been hard to shake the fact that, especially with Falcon and the Winter Soldier and Hawkeye, these are shows that are presented as essentially more longer drawn-out movies. And, I mean, they they kind of play out that way. They're padded with a lot of filler. They don't feel consequential. And for Falcon and the Winter Soldier especially... He gets the shield at the end of Endgame, and then what do we do? We have a, a six-episode uh, season that that is really building just to return him to that status quo of actually being Captain America. And for me, at least, I, I think that was a major, major cop-out on Marvel Studios' part to not essentially start the show with Sam Wilson as Captain America and not make it into this long, drawn-out origin story, because they'll probably... I, we shouldn't have a lot of confidence that they're not going to revisit a lot of these themes in Captain America 4. Look at what Wan- look at what WandaVision and Doctor Strange did. WandaVision had this whole nice, beautiful narrative that Doctor Strange hinted at for five seconds before undoing the entire status quo and really did a total hit job on Wanda. And it, it, frankly, that movie was a fucking disgrace. It was awful. I hated Doctor Strange. And it took a gigantic dump on WandaVision, which was... Uh, up to this point, I think Marvel's best show. And in a weird way, She-Hulk also feels so bizarre to say for a show that's essentially a legal dramedy. But in a lot of ways, it feels like the MCU's most consequential show that's been on Disney+. And that shouldn't necessarily be the case because of the stakes that WandaVision had. Of course, we're erased. And, uh, you know, stuff like Ms. Marvel introducing the lovely Kamala Khan into the equation, she's going to be in the Marvels. You know, those are, and, and I mean, you could kind of say, Cap- well, he already was Captain America at the end of Endgame. But She-Hulk is actually delivering on a promise that it's it's actually going to matter. There's going to be stakes. And it managed to kind of accomplish this and sort of be kind of at a nexus point for the MCU where you can have bigger characters like Wong and Matt Murdock. Hey, we finally got Daredevil. <laughs> Isn't that fun? Minus the uh, blink and you miss it cameo in uh, Spider Man No Way Home, which which was was fun. Let's I don't want to dump on that, but I think for a lot of people who really love Daredevil, uh, this is really his true return, and it was beautiful and funny and all sorts of things. And She Hulk was She Hulk demonstrated that it could walk and chew gum at the same time. It could be its own show that focuses on Jen Walters' own narrative while at the same time throwing Wong into the equation constantly. We have the Abomination in multiple episodes. We have Daredevil in multiple episodes. Really, the second one was more of just a cameo. Uh, this has been a lot of fun. And it was a lot of fun in ways that it felt like television, which is maybe a weird thing to say to a lot of people, but as somebody who's covered TV for more than 10 years... Some of my all-time favorite shows are, are the legal dramas created by David E. Kelly, uh, Ally McBeal, which She-Hulk riffs off heavily, but also The Practice, and Boston Legal, which is a spinoff of The Practice, but it's 
almost more spinoff of Ally McBeal, despite not having any of the actual characters. Uh, they're really fun, and you could tell that the the She-Hulk was, especially with a lot of its legal plot lines, was really trying to riff off Ally McBeal. I, I, some of the crea- uh, creators tried to distance themselves from it. Uh, if you watch early Ally McBeal, there's, it's obvious that She-Hulk is, is totally riffing off that, and that's okay. Guess what? WandaVision, the very first Disney Plus television show, was all about television. I mean, we got to this point midway through, and we did an episode on this already with a guest. Uh, we had Alexander August back. Uh, but, you know, it was kind of weird, you know, in the buildup of waiting week to week for WandaVision. People saying, well, what what decade are they going to parody next with their sitcoms? I don't know. It's Disney certainly loves its nostalgia. But that said, I'm not really against the idea that She-Hulk is just borrowing off legal comedies, but... At the end of the day, it is kind of a weird situation with only being nine episodes because kind of the beauty of uh, a lot of these uh, shows like Ally McBeal and, frankly, all the sitcoms that WandaVision riffed off of, those are shows that mean a lot to a lot of people because they got to be active parts of people's lives. 22 episodes a year. That's basically half the year that you're getting a new weekly episode uh, of a show. There's a lot of bonding. And for She-Hulk, which is nine episodes, to to spend a lot of its narrative basically trying to be a legal dramedy while also having all of the other MCU shenanigans like cameos and all of that stuff, it's an awkward marriage to try and do in nine episodes of a basically half-hour, essentially, sitcom. It's They're biting off absolutely way more than they can chew— and that's not really a bad thing. There was a point mid-season where it was one of the more legal, legal, uh, heavy ones where uh, Jen and Nikki are in the bar and she's joking, does a fourth wall joke about how the A plot and the B plot are converging. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, yeah, all of your writers who have kind of gone through the motions of getting their WGA cards and understanding television screenwriting and how you basically write for network television, which still... If you turn on like CBS at prime time or any 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 of the big, uh, oh, it's really not that many broadcast TV is dying, but le- legal shows, forty minute uh, dramas, they all kind of have a similar structure they have to follow. And She Hulk was joking about that, and you kind of want to say like, you know, you're riffing off those kinds of shows, but this is a prestige inherently a prestige format. There's only nine of these episodes. You're not gonna. A prestige show can't really achieve, what I guess, what I would call ordinary time, which would be basically the nitty-gritty episodes of a procedural that just sort of follow what the show's about, aren't serving, uh, aren't serving a giant crossover, or building up a finale or a cliffhanger, anything like that. Basically, episodes of a show where the show is actually doing what its premise is. And uh, I guess... <laughs> For me, that makes a lot of sense within the context of Ally McBeal because with a lot of David E. Kelly shows like The Practice or Boston Legal, he writes all the scripts, and after a while, a pattern that follows every single one of his shows are the show stops being about what it says it's going to be about and mostly just starts being about the mechanics of the show itself. And that is, uh, if if any of that makes sense, but it's actually oddly very relevant to She-Hulk which breaks the fourth wall so many times, and actually had a finale that decided it wasn't. It was very subversive in the sense that it wasn't going to have a big battle. But 
it was maybe not so subversive in the fact that uh, it was really just introspective about the nature of the MCU itself. So in some ways it was shocking, and then in other ways it was very predictable that a show that broke the fourth wall so constantly would have a finale centered around the idea of breaking the fourth wall, looking at insoles, being like, oh yeah, we knew you were going to hate this. Um, I don't think shows should spend... I think if all of your humor is going to derive from breaking the fourth wall or meta humor, then you're going to be in trouble. But uh, She-Hulk didn't have that problem. Uh, Not when when you have the comedy... I mean, who knew that Wong was such a hilarious character? Uh, I I mean, everybody kind of knew that uh, from... At least halfway through Doctor Doctor Strange was kind of a dark movie the first one, but uh, we love Wong. Uh, his tuna he wanted a tuna melt in uh, Infinity War, and I do think it's a great strength of of She Hulk to be able to be a vessel where characters like the Abomination bringing Tim Roth back. I mean, who would have thought that 2008's The Incredible Hulk would still be something that was reasonably relevant in the year 2022? I certainly didn't. Uh, Edward Norton, wherever he is, he probably didn't either. Um, but you know, as we get away from, like, the heavy hitters, uh, the Tony Starks and the Steve Rogers of the world, you know, it's nice that we have, uh, like, utility players like Wong who can bounce around from stuff like Shang-Chi or, or Spider-Man No Way Home in addition to his actual movie, Doctor Strange. Uh, it, it's nice to have those kinds of characters to, to sort of uh, add to the connective tissue of the show. I'm always reminded of what, at least in my view, is Marvel's great triumph, which was the buildup of the relationship between Tony Stark and Peter Parker in the space of, this isn't really an exaggeration, it was basically the space of 10 minutes. Uh, They didn't have a ton of time together in Civil War, which was their first appearance. Robert Downey Jr. was basically in about 5 to 10 minutes of Spider-Man Homecoming, and then Infinity War is their last big thing that's... That's not a lot of screen time together, and yet they were able to to clump all of that and do Spider-Man uh, Far From Home, which was all about Peter Parker losing Tony Stark. They made such an impact in such a small amount of time, and that's a great that's a great asset. That's not something that comic book. I mean, comic books don't have to worry about that because you have years and years of plot lines. People can bounce around. Uh, you get to you get to learn a lot more about these people. And the MCU, it would be such a waste if they weren't using television to at least do some of that. So I think when it comes to She-Hulk's sort of court, I don't want to call it a crisis, but some people have been saying, you know, this isn't really a legal dramedy. It's not. It's kind of like the legal drama is the show's, like, protective casing or, or the, the cylinder through which its volume gets to, like, exist in. It's the uh, glass that the water gets poured into. It's not really the the defining feature. Uh, it doesn't give the show its its flavor necessarily. That's the, you know, Jen Walters. And I mean, like Tatiana Maslany has done such a fantastic job, especially under some lackluster CGI. But she's essentially playing two separate characters who are both trying to kind of figure themselves out in a way that they can coexist and. You know, she's not really clear whether she wants to be She-Hulk or she wants to be Jen, the wedding episode, which was kind of weak. But it was a good moment for the show to kind of reset itself away from some of the cameos that... I mean, they had a they had a breaking of the fourth wall where she said, you know, this is my show, don't expect a cameo every week. Kind of unfair and BS of Marvel to try and pull that, because guess what? We pretty much got a cameo every week, so... It's not like that's the end of the world. I mean, cameos are fun. 
But I guess what I'm looking for with some of these TV shows, the six-episode format doesn't work for a lot of them because we don't really get time to bond to the characters. I think when you when you take a step back and realize how little screen time Peter Parker and Tony Stark had, you start to wonder, like, I mean, you remember that, hey, we may have 25, 26 movies, uh, more TV shows, at least 20 TV shows. That's a lot of content. But at the end of the day... A lot of it, a lot of this stuff, uh, more specifically the films, have so much of their time dedicated to plot. We don't learn a lot about these characters necessarily. We get small snippets of character development along the way. So it's fun to be able to have a show like this where you can step back and kind of enjoy time in, in more of a present, active sense. You know, the, you don't need to see the Avengers in every t- TV show, but. It's kind of been missing. Ever since the snap, we, we haven't really had, you know, I mean, the Avengers aren't really a team right now, but the universe has felt kind of small ever since the, the snap came around because it seems like so many of these, whether it's uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp or Captain Marvel, they take place before the snap. Black Widow takes place uh, before the snap as well. I mean, we're at... We're at they're releasing new movies that take place in like midpoints of the continuity. It's a the MCU is very afraid to live in the present. WandaVision in like a little pocket realm. It bears noting how little time we actually get with the MCU in its actual present. It's been struggling so much ever since the snap to just establish, hey, this is this is the world that we're in that all of our heroes are in. Let's have fun with this. No, it, it seems like everybody's kind of off doing their own thing multiverse, uh, all sorts of things. That's not necessarily a bad thing, but but She-Hulk has such a great opportunity to exist at kind of the center and say, hey, you know, we can bring people from all sorts of this world in and also still have a, uh, at the heart of it, a, a, a very compelling uh, character drama that, that that may not necessarily be original. It's, it's not, okay? We have girl boss stuff that was about 10 years old the girl boss, frankly, is dead. Long live the quiet quitter. Um, I hate the girl boss. I hate the grind. Um, <laughs> that, that's okay. I mean, this is... Ally McBeal came out in ni- 1998. That's not a feminist show either. I mean, there isn't really... I, the most feminist thing that, that actually probably happened in She-Hulk was that she fucked Daredevil, that, which is beautiful. I, that, to me, redeemed the whole show. Not that it necessarily needed redemption, but everybody complaining about it uh, Jen Walters fucked Daredevil. That's amazing. And uh, that's just kind of the beauty. That, that's what I've wanted, actually, out of out of the MCU for a long time. I've wanted things set in the present, and I want... I don't necessarily need, a, a, you know, a big reveal like Daredevil in every episode, but the fact that they were unafraid to do that, to take the darkest character in the MCU, and yeah, okay, Punisher, I guess, is probably a little darker, but... You take the character that started off the more mature MCU on Netflix, all the darker stuff, take that character, and you put him on the lightest comedy, and you have him have sex with the lead of that comedy. That's beautiful. It's so beautiful. That is, frankly, whether future MCU shows are more for comedy or drama, let's face it, they're all going to go for comedy. MCU loves its gags. It shows a great sense of confidence that they can pull characters from all over the MCU and put them on She-Hulk's home turf and actually get them to, to play ball with the comedy. That that 
a lot of th there was a day where a lot of networks would have said absolutely not like that'll ruin the character i mean with the arrowverse there have been so many uh characters that dc ordered out, out of the arrowverse because lightheartedness would screw with them and everything and maybe i was about to say maybe there's some truth to that actually no there's no truth at all to that as the uh episode eight of she hulk proved you can take the darkest character and put him into a comedy, and guess what? It's amazing. It's a lot of fun. I wish we had seen Ben Affleck, uh, Batman on the Flash TV show. Not the. F We're never gonna even see that Flash movie. Uh, getting getting a little all over the place. But She Hulk just proved that you can have a lot of fun, and still have some things like. Uh, they wisely avoided the big final boss battle that. Nobody really wanted out of the finale. But we did get some smaller action. Uh, the battle with uh, Wong and She-Hulk fighting uh, those flying bat things was a lot of fun. And it was also fun to see a universe that could grow and mature without necessarily having too many Hulk smash moments. And we did have a bunch of those, but... The MCU has has ha definitely had an over-reliance, and it's totally self-aware of this. It's why the Episode Nine didn't have its obligatory final boss battle, which... I mean, I've been thinking a lot about X-Men Apocalypse as a movie, which is not MCU, but probably the single biggest... Uh, to a lesser extent, WandaVision, but not, 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 not so much. But X-Men Apocalypse kind of ruined its whole movie with a third act that had to have the obligatory giant big boss battle versus the much more interesting sort of uh, political uh, intersocial implications of, of everything that had been going on throughout the narrative, which was a lot more fun. It, it it was kind of a movie that didn't need its big popcorn, big blockbuster ending. And television also doesn't need that in every instance. Ms. Marvel, in, in some ways, suffered from... I mean using using taking green lantern's powers instead of uh, kamala khan's got one of uh, i don't want to go too off topic but the ms marvel comics g willow wilson's run and solid and ahmed's run lot lot of fun it's if you like old school comics old school like peter parker style comics ms marvel is is the absolute best for that uh just to make a quick comic book recommendation in the middle of my uh she hulk television <laughs> review Shield comics are great too. This show did a beautiful job adapting the She-Hulk comics, especially from the seventies. But uh, I mean, they've kind of retained it. it, it She-Hulk is not a regular book. It, it comes out every once in a while. So uh, future She-Hulk books, like the John Byrne run uh, and the more recent one that just came out, is uh, author I'm blanking on. She-Hulk, the TV show paid better homage to its source material than I think any of the other ones. And I was really excited for Hawkeye to do Matt Fraction's legendary Hawkeye run. It, it's one of the best uh, comic book runs ever written, not to make too many more comic book rec recommendations, but Matt Fraction Hawkeye uh, with David Aha is, oh my God, it's incredible. And the TV show was never going to do it justice, but... Uh, and it was a good series, but it it was not Fraction Hawkeye. She-Hulk, hey, true comic book fans, and I get hit all the time by insults saying, if you actually read a comic, they assume because you're trans or you're a woman that you know nothing about comics. I'm recording in an office that has uh, probably about 2,000 comics in it. Uh, maybe even more. That might be a low estimate looking around. <laughs> I love comic books. 
And I love television, and I don't necessarily... Television is not going to be comic books, but uh, with that said, you kind of want to get the spirit of a comic, and She-Hulk definitely captured that. We got a Jen Walters who is confident and, and, and funny and also trying to find herself and the online dating stuff. I mean, no surprise uh, given what this, this show has been doing uh, really the past year with all, all the Tinder stuff. It's not particularly original commentary for She-Hulk to do. I mean, we have so many modern TV shows looking at dating and not necessarily saying that that much interesting, but uh, to see a superhero going through it and to see somebody who is hot going through it in a way that's believable. Uh, tr trans people, uh, I mean, I get, I, I'm trying to resist. I, I am not trying to say that I think I am hot. I am trying to say that I get messages from people who proclaim me to be out. Whether they believe it or not is unknowable. But uh, I don't necessarily... People who claim that they think I'm attractive still do not treat me very well. So, <laughs> she all getting the people who fetishize over her and still not treating her well, even after she has nice sex with them, uh, that is... Uh, eminently relatable, not just to me, who, uh, for the record, I don't think I'm hot, but uh, hot women, hot women have bad dates all the time. Plenty of my friends who are very attractive have more terrible dates than I do. Uh, that's the world that we live in, and guys, a lot of guys don't know that. This audience, you guys skew about 70% male who listen to this show. A lot of you don't realize you may see a woman and think she's beautiful and maybe objectively know that she's beautiful, and within that, you can also forget that, hey, at the end of the day, we're all still women who get a fair amount of abuse from fuckboys, and it sucks. Um, She-Hulk was able to... I don't know. I, 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 I'm i tough on that kind of stuff. Uh, I, I've yet to really find a great cancel culture narrative that, that wasn't just kind of like, hey, what if we've maybe went too far, but we're not saying that, but maybe let's edge up toward that and... Somehow you can kind of project something that sounds original, but it's not. A lot of shows have done that. A lot of movies have done that. I've taken dumps on some of them. Uh, the showrunner of a show that, that did that that I was very critical of uh, actually follows me on Instagram, which is very strange um, not to get. You know, this podcast is breaking the fourth wall, and we're talking about other things that have nothing to do with She-Hulk. And yet it's a testament to She-Hulk, which wasn't really a legal dramedy, but it kind of was. And it was able to cover all of this sort of territory and uh, deliver something that was that was very satisfying. I do have one kind of bone to pick that relates, if you're wondering where my ordinary time rant was going earlier in the episode, She-Hulk definitely faltered a little bit with the episode with the uh, name copyright uh, dispute, uh, you know, and yeah, Jamila Jamel needed s some more stuff to do I don't think that storyline necessarily worked this early in a show. I think it was more of a plot line that would have worked in the back half of a 22-episode season or maybe in the middle of a second season. And, you know, the fact that these shows are not necessarily traditional TV shows. I know Loki's getting a second season, but uh, they are treated more like prestige things. We don't know when there's going to be a second season of She-Hulk. We know that She-Hulk will appear in other MCU things, but... Uh, it's certainly not guaranteed, and uh, Jamila Jamil is is, I mean she she's she's a pretty big star for somebody who's not a truly vital member of the show. So I get why they had to you know Titania is a big uh, character, but I I get why they 
felt that they should do something like that in this episode, uh, in this season, but uh, it was a little early in the narrative of a show that's already not really a legal drama to use one of its legal drama plot lines to essentially just look at itself again and and not be an ordinary time, but be meta in the sense of this is a show about itself. Um, and that's very distinct from just breaking the fourth wall. So that one I didn't really love, and the uh, superhero support group, I mean, if you're a comic book diehard, you got a couple characters that uh, really are obscure and only appear in stuff like Howard the Duck, um, which is fun, and I'm sure there's some Howard the Duck fans, but for a lot of us, I, I don't know. In the back half, right before they got to Daredevil, maybe maybe could have used a little bit more organization. Especially, I don't know. It's such a low-hanging fruit. And I say this as a trans woman who gets attacked all the time on social media. It could be very easy for me to redo my whole programming to center around the abuse that I get. And I don't want to do that because I think it's intellectually lazy. It's boring. It doesn't satisfy me. And She-Hulk kind of accurately predicted that uh, the insoles would hate this show. Uh, dude bros would be angry. You know, why is She-Hulk getting a series? This show sucks. This, is a, this isn't anything like the comic books that obviously I haven't read. Because if I did, I would know it's pretty much exactly like the comic books. Uh, those people, they're everywhere on the internet. Uh, and they were kind of the villain of this final uh, episode, which then... We had a funny breaking the... For we literally... She all uh, left her show on Disney+, Plus, went to Marvel uh, Disassembled, or whatever the hell that the documentary one is called. Talked to Kevin. Kevin Midas touch Feige. Kevin Feige is just a man. You could get other people to build a comic book universe. You know, all the stories DC needs to find. It's Kevin Feige. No, DC just needs to empower creatives. I mean, and not cancel the Batgirl movie, which was made by the Ms. Marvel people, which... Frankly, Ms. Marvel looked pretty beautiful for a show that obviously has a, a television budget. So uh, that's a long that's a long tangent full of stuff that people listening will say, this is why I don't like Ian, because she just rambles and goes all over the place. But it's all in purpose to the fact that <laughs> you can't just focus on yourself as a narrative. I can't just talk for the next 10 minutes getting a little too meta here. And if you're getting kind of annoyed about that, I think is reasonable that a lot of people would think that She-Hulk getting meta to the point where it's just a show about the haters. There's a very popular YouTube, transgender YouTuber, uh, probably the most popular transgender YouTuber. I'm not going to name her, but for about the past two and a half years, she's really only put out content that's about her own controversial status. And uh, I think that's very boring. And I think She-Hulk, uh, it worked here a little bit, just because... It is it is fun to mess with the insoles who just hate things for the sake of hating them. But you can only sustain your narrative uh, with stuff like that for so long because if you make your narrative all about people who hate you, you're going to turn off the people who like you. You have to focus... It, we, it has to go back to ordinary time. It's got to be a show that's about something other than itself. And I think that's something that... I would really hope for a second season we get longer uh, a longer season. You know, the Daredevil season two they announced, or not season two, the reboot, they announced that there were going to be 18 episodes of that, which is uh, five more than the Netflix series would get. Uh, I hope that She-Hulk, uh, I mean, we've seen it, we've seen the formula break a little bit too. Uh, Andor, uh, the new Star Wars show, is going to be 12 episodes. 
I would love if She-Hulk wasn't just nine episodes because the legal format is not well suited for something that short. Uh, and the meta humor, too, is not that well suited. You have It has to be proportional. You have to... The show did a good job not breaking the fourth wall every five minutes. It's actually a dynamic that Deadpool had to navigate in both of his movies and did it really well in the first movie, not as well in the second movie, and I think some of that had to just do with the fact that the plot of Deadpool 2 was... I mean, they did Cable uh, very... I don't know, Josh Brolin was good, but it wasn't a very good Cable. And, uh... He broke the fourth wall a lot, but you can't have the fourth wall just supply all the humor. You have to have you have to have humor that's actually about what's going on. It can't just be references and uh, stuff. And she'll she'll manage that pretty well. I I admit I was really happy when uh, uh, Tatiana essentially not Jen broke character and looked at the screen and it's like when are we getting the X Men and <laughs> did a little fist bump. That's fun. Um. This this show needs this show needs at least a twelve episode season, and I don't necessarily link that immediately to saying this show needs more legal based humor. I mean, a lot of the best episodes didn't really have a ton to do with the courtroom, but it has to walk a thin line between meta and uh, actual character and plot based humor. But um, I think all in all, this 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 was a very as we start to wrap up, this was a very satisfying season of television that showed maybe it, it feels kind of weird for me to say that this was the best MCU show uh, so far because I believe that and yet it was kind of imperfect a lot of room for growth but it managed to I was about to say managed to do something new I mean it's lighthearted comedy that's the MCU uh, and even meta humor is kind of also the MCU it's kind of what they like to do uh Shang-Chi, the whole thing with the Mandarin, that was uh, one... I mean, it was necessary, but it was 100% meta meta humor. She-Hulk felt confident existing kind of at the intersection of the MCU, unlike like a Ms. Marvel or a Moon Knight, which are kept very separate from the rest of the MCU, kind of Loki as well. And that's fine. We, we need to have a lot of space for these things to do their own things. Moon Knight was terrible, by the way, though a show that felt rushed and insanely drawn out both at the same time. That's uh, not a great combo. But part of She-Hulk's appeal was that not only did it not feel rushed, at times it didn't necessarily even feel prestige. It was kind of the beauty of it in a lot of ways was it was television. Every week we got a new episode that was entertaining. You know, there were episodes that made us laugh and smile and... The sky wasn't falling in every episode. This wasn't a uh, Avengers-level uh, event. This wasn't Extinction. This wasn't The Snap. Uh, these were these were sort of uh, more muted stories that, that were fun. And w- what I love about television, w- what a lot of people love about television is... You know, we have this whole this whole crazy world, the real world, that, that exists all around us, and it's chaotic and all of this stuff. And Peak TV is trying to, you know, make events out of all these different shows. But for a lot of us, we don't necessarily need Peak or Event TV. We need each week getting 30 minutes of storytelling with relatable characters that, that's fun, that gets us excited, and it's satisfying. When the credits roll, you smile, and you look forward to next week. And that's something Peak TV can't necessarily do as much because uh, Netflix, you know, they drop all their uh, episodes in one day. That's not, 
you know, habitual viewing and some of the other shows, they're only six episodes. They dropped the first two. I mean, you get like a month of that. She-Hulk gave us for a little while at least, nine episodes is not that long, but it gave us a taste of saying, hey, this was a fun half hour to spend with with uh, these characters and we'll see them next week. Uh, that That's a beauty of television that obviously these writers, uh, whether it's WandaVision or She-Hulk, the people who created these shows love that about television. It, it's a theme that they've revisited time and time again, the comfort, comfort food that... Uh, television gives us comic books also give us you know when i've had a tough day comic books you're never caught up they come out all the time there's too many books there's too many crossovers um when i'm stressed or whatnot i just i go into my stories they're so i I joke in the comic book store not to sound sexist but i I call them soap operas for men uh (laughs) comic book stores heavily male um and they laugh i'm making fun of them but it's true. You get the same thing out of that as you do from a soap opera. It, the, these are characters who who are exist as as part of the background of of your life, and uh, we don't necessarily get that all the time with the MCU. Uh, people like to project that feeling. Going back to the Tony Stark, Peter Parker stuff, um, they project that that these characters are, are here more than they actually are. But for TV shows, at least, hey, I mean. It's not like Ally McBeal put out over 100 episodes. A lot of them sucked, especially the later years. But it was still fun to spend time with them. She-Hulk, She-Hulk was, was damn good television. And I'm really excited for another season. And it may not have hit absolutely every note. There were some things that I didn't like. But I had a lot of fun watching television. It was television and it was fun. <laughs> it sounds so stupid to say that, but... I don't know. I feel like a lot of people who would listen this far into a She-Hulk podcast can at least kind of relate to that. Anyway, I'm going to wrap up now. I've been going probably for far too long anyway. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating uh, and a review, preferably on Apple, but basically wherever you can leave one would be great. Uh, Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next time.